You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Assembly Call Radio is coming right up. Before we get to that, a word from one of our sponsors this week, SeatGeek. Now, obviously, the college basketball season is over, but with spring here, summer coming up, there are so many events to get tickets to to go see live. You've got the NBA playoffs. You've got golf getting going. Obviously, there's baseball going on, and then football is right around the corner And if you ever need tickets for any of those events, not to mention concerts and everything else that you might do, make sure that you check out SeatGeek. Because for a long time, buying tickets has been really difficult. It's been annoying with, you know, a few big companies who don't really care about the customer. But with SeatGeek, they're a ticket company where the customer comes first. They have 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, which is crazy. And they really are focused on making your experience as easy as possible. And one of the ways they do this is that SeatGeek actually pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 and display them on an interactive seat map. So it's simple to find what you're looking for. Basically, the green dots are good deals. The red dots are overpriced. Really easy to kind of figure out that system. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. My wife and I are going to go to a concert later this spring. SeatGeek is what I'm going to use to buy those tickets. It's what I always use because I get the best prices, the best customer support, and I trust them. And that's why I feel comfortable recommending them to you. Best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. They support our show, so go support SeatGeek. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. Again, you can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. And now, here's this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 117th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 509th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, April 11, 2019. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, filling in for Jared Morris this week, who can't be with us. And uh, let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, And the purpose of this segment has always been uh, whether you want to say it's trying to convince ourselves that IU is going to hang another banner or the reason that IU is going to hang another banner. And I think uh, the best place to go this week, not not the least of which because the Final Four was was really entertaining, was to kind of look at what Tony Bennett was able to do uh, at Virginia. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Final Four later. Uh, But for anyone who felt, you know, pack line teams can't win in the tournament, can't win the championship. Uh, that certainly was put to rest this week. And when you look at Tony Bennett coming into Virginia, really set his, uh, you know, set that team's identity on there on how they would be defensively. And so as we look ahead to year three of the Archie Miller era, I'm going to blow quite a bit of sunshine here. But, uh, you know, year three, Tony Bennett's defense went from 71st to 5th. Since then, they've been 25th, 4th, 
second, seventh, second, first, and fifth in defensive efficiency. Uh, and now offensively, they did. Uh, they were kind of behind where IU is. Uh, you know, in year if IU takes this trajectory in year three, they were 133rd in uh, adjusted offensive efficiency in year three. After that, 83rd, 27th, 21st, eighth, dropped to 50th, 30th, and then second this year when they won the title. So you know, I, I say all that to say. One, uh, you know, a, a team with its identity built on defense and the kinds of things that, that Tony Bennett has made that identity of the Virginia program is one that, while it certainly had its setbacks and embarrassments and whatever you want to call it in March, proved that with some, uh, you know, consistency and a little bit of tweaking, uh, they can be successful in March as they were this year and into April. And as you look at, you know, what they've done over the last couple of years, you really you see that Bennett's made some tweaks. There's still large components of the mover blocker system there, but uh, they also run Jordan Sperber is a great follow on Twitter and talked a lot about them getting into more like continuity ball screen actions and different things like that. Uh, and I think some of the players in some of the post game, the other interviews I heard talked about that as well uh, with, with where they were able to, you know, kind of stick to their roots, if you will, with the mover blocker, but also make tweaks uh, to really make them more dynamic offensively, even though they still play, play at a very slow pace, even slower than what we've seen IU play at. But, uh, those first two years under Tony Bennett, the Cavaliers were 31 and 31 and 12 and 20 overall in the ACC. And since then, they've had at least 22 wins in each year and at least 29 wins in five of the last six seasons. So uh, maybe overly optimistic to believe that I use on the same trajectory that Virginia was at that point. But at least if you step back and look at the landscape of college basketball, I think looking at a team that plays the way that Virginia does uh, and relies on some of the same principles, at the very least defensively, as Archie Miller wants to, I think that's a good enough reason to be able to uh, you know, talk yourself into IU being on the road to hopefully hanging another banner. And now, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is a veteran Indiana high school basketball coach, the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club, and a man who hates the act of popping one's collar so much that he once kicked his own son out of practice for doing it. He is the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and that means it's Tonsoni time. Coach, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, hello, everyone. It's good to be here. Um... You know, Indiana basketball is is special. We we say that all the time. It's it's been a long drought uh, for being in the NCAA tournament. Uh, what an outstanding tournament uh, this year! Didn't have the early uh, upsets that we usually like to see, but it had a lot of drama in the Sweet 16 and the Final Four. Uh, what what what's fascinating about Indiana basketball is meeting great assembly call fans all the time. It's one of the benefits of living here in Indiana and going to Indiana baseball, uh, Joel, David. And last night I met Richie, uh, and, and we're talking hoops, uh, a week or two after the season's ending. So that, that means that, um, we're headed in the right direction. Still a lot of things for Indiana to do. And, and I'll go right off of your banner moment too, is the fact that Teams made the Final Four, and they lost people. Texas Tech lost most of their starters and, and, and made the Final Four. Uh, there were several teams that had significant talent leave their team, and yet uh, teams made the tournament and sometimes made a significant run in the tournament. Not saying that Indiana is poised for a Final Four trip uh, because they're losing a couple of outstanding scores, but the focus for me is who Indiana is going to have on their roster going into next year not who they left, that we honor the players that have left. We appreciate what they've done for Indiana. But now's the time to be rejuvenated and look forward. We have some spots open. That'll be a, a high um, point of, of contention or discussion of, 
of who Archie's going to bring in. But I do think things are, are headed in the right direction. The more of Archie guys that are in the program, the better Archie has of getting his system in. Like a Tony Bennett, like most coaches, they have their system. And once you have your guys in, your system can take foot and things will get better. And I'm excited to keep talking about it until November. And to my right, he is a senior writer for The Big Lead, a co-host of The Hangover, and someone who is so sick and tired of being the butt of Jared's perfectly timed and allegedly remarkably humorous sound drops that he often fantasizes about pulling a Magic Johnson and just retiring from his hosting role on the spot without telling one anyone about it first. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this week? Uh, that's definitely outside of that intro. Yeah, if I'm going to ever leave, it's just going to be on the show. Rip the mic out. Rip the headphones out. Get out of here. Um, so I wanted to talk about the final four. I, 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 you touched on some stuff there, Andy, and I think the most important thing to learn isn't that you can win with a defense first team. I think we've seen that in the past, though maybe not to the degree that we saw it with Virginia this year. Uh, there's two things that 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 story told me in Virginia is one, you can bounce back from an awful year. And, and last year they had a great year, but an awful finish. And I'm sorry if you are the, become the first number one seed, especially being the number one overall seed to lose to a 16, that's an awful year. There's nothing good you can draw from that because it's soured so much by that last game. Um, Obviously, they had a spectacular team last year and, and had a great season, but that last loss was so bad that it just kind of wipes it out for me. Uh, but what did they do from that? How did they respond? What they responded to or what they responded with was knuckling down, figuring it out, working their tails off and coming back. And what Tony Bennett did was he finally was willing to change. He had been so rigid in his system forever that they had failed in the NCAA tournament on numerous occasions. That wasn't the first time they disappointed in the tournament last year. And, and they had failed and disappointed so many other times, but he, his, it was his dad's system, the mover blocker, as you mentioned, Andy, and he was so rigid and sticking with it at all times. Even if you're down 20, even if you're down, you know, 15 with 10 minutes left, you still run the system. You run the system and rely on the defense to stop the other team and, and don't speed it up. Don't change anything. He went into this office and he, he saw that loss and he said, I've got to change and I've got to work on it and, um, and figure out other ways to do things and not be so rigid in my system. And I think that a lot of coaches could benefit from thinking like that to say, okay, I've got to be less rigid in what I'm doing. I've got to maybe think outside the box. I've got to take in advice from other people and not just be so stuck in their ways. That was the biggest story for me because not much changed on Virginia's roster or the way they played uh, defensively or, you know, who they were as a team, nothing really changed from last year. What changed was the willingness to alter their approach and to work with what they have, realize time and score and maybe change the way they're going to attack teams and things of that nature, as opposed to just doing a full wipe of the surface. And I think that's a great lesson for IU is maybe, you know, Go get some other ideas, you know, offensively. Maybe, you know, try and work around some of the problems when things aren't getting right, going well, instead of just saying, no, if we run our system, if we run our system, if we run our system, everything will be fine. Well, guess what? In some games, things go crazy, things don't go right. And for Virginia, what happened last year is when teams get hot shooting and start to score a bunch, you've got a long way to come back, and that offense wasn't built to, to come from behind. So 
I, I kudos to Tony Bennett. I had said it last year when they lost. I had said it numerous times before that, that I thought it wasn't a system that could win in the tournament. He changed his system and immediately is rewarded with a national championship. And so kudos to them for a, for those players for coming back and not just, you know, crawling into a hole and never wanted to play basketball again after that embarrassing loss last year, but also for him for realizing the problems, identifying them and, and, you know, altering the approach a bit, not changing who they were, but altering the approach and being more flexible. Uh, I think that more than anything is what led to that national championship. All right. Well, here's what we're going to talk about this week on the show. We'll uh, talk a little more final four and some IU centric lessons uh, that we can take away from that. And, uh, and then We'll get into an interesting question we got about the importance of bringing the IU family back together, and then we'll answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. And before we get to all that, let's talk about sleep and why you need to buy your next mattress from our friends, the proud IU grads and loyal fans at Comfort Option. First off, they'll actually come to your house. Seriously, if you live in Indy or Bloomington, you can schedule Comfort Option's revolutionary in-home mattress service so that you can custom design a mattress that is exactly the way you want it. Now, in this part, Jared wanted me to impersonate longtime Assembly Call listener Megan Mahaffey, which I refused to do out of respect for Megan and perhaps out of my own uh, lack of confidence in my acting abilities. But as Megan said, in a drop that you're likely to hear next week on the show, there's a van with a bed in it, and they just put the mattress together right there, and you lay on it, and you decide if you like it or not. Yes, seriously, they come right to your house, and they don't charge extra for this service. And get this, even if you don't live in India or Bloomington, you can still order one of their alpha mattresses online and they'll deliver it anywhere in the U.S. For example, now that I have fallen out of the bracket matrix top 10, just one spot out and number 11, my wife will no longer let me lay in our marital bed, citing her shame at, quote, now being married to some no-talent, substandard, Lenardian bracketology nerd. So obviously, I had to order a new mattress and have it shipped to our home in Cincinnati. And it's worked out great. But even if it hadn't, it'd be okay because Comfort Option offers a 30-90 satisfaction guarantee to make sure you love your mattress. Bottom line, they want the mattress buying experience to be more pleasant than it's ever been. So go to comfortoption.com right now and either order your alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code assembly to get $50 off your purchase. Again, that's comfortoption.com, promo code assembly for $50 off. Get the mattress that's right for you. Don't leave your sleep to chance. It's too important. All right, back to talking basketball. So we, we talked final four. Uh, and I think there's a few things to, to take away from that. We exchanged some emails with, uh, with Jared as we were getting ready for the show. And I think there are a handful of things that, that were jotted down here. Um, we talked a little bit about the pack playing defense being able, one that is able to win. I think the next one uh, is pretty important here, and that's around three-point shooting. I looked at a couple numbers. wanted to get you guys' thoughts on, on this. So Virginia hit at least seven threes in all six of their games and nine or more in three of the last four. So as the competition got better, they hit more threes. Uh, Auburn obviously made 42 threes in the first, uh, the first three games to get there, struggled a little bit against Kentucky and made nine against Virginia, including a few late that really led to their comeback. Uh, in that game, Texas tech made at least nine in their last three games. Uh, again, as the competition ratcheted up and Michigan state was really the outlier in that regard, though they did hit 13 against LSU. So that, that was certainly one point that was taken away. And, and the other, maybe I'll, I'll let you guys each take one of these and as to what you think is more important was that you can have good role players, but you do need some level of NBA talent, like a DeAndre, a DeAndre Hunter or Jarrett Culver. So many of the guys that are there, while they're solid basketball players, been in the system for a while, in Virginia's case, less so in Texas Tech, but you still had NBA caliber talent that was there. Maybe not the true one-and-done type player, uh, but somebody who has the kind of talent to be able to play in the NBA. So Ryan, I'll throw this to you first. Is there one of those two, the three-point shooting or the, the talent level that you feel 
really stood out was most important to you after watching the final four? Uh, I mean, I think they're both wildly important, but I would say that the shooting was huge, especially uh, in those big games, having a guy like Kyle Guy who can knock down shots and is a threat to knock down shots, opens up the floor for everybody else. But also, if you're struggling, if you're in a moment where uh, you really need a big play, a three-pointer can change a lot of momentum. And I think that you saw that with Auburn as well. Once Bryce Brown got hot at the end of that Final Four game, brought him right back into the game. It, it, you know, it, it was you know, snap, 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 right down the line uh, at the end of the game, hit a couple threes and really put Auburn, gave them so much momentum and, and to the point where they actually had the lead late. Um, I, 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 but I also think the talent is incredibly important. And I, and I think you do need guys who can take over a game occasionally. And you didn't really see it from Hunter and Culver necessarily in long stretches of this tournament. But in that final game, Virginia was able to just give the ball to Hunter and let him go to work and, and, you know, inside the three point line. And then he stepped out and hit a couple as well. Having the confidence that a guy like that gives you, I think is huge for the rest of the team too, because everybody feels like, well, if he plays well, we can all just do our jobs and we know he can carry us. Um, So I I do think both are incredibly important. I think shooting these days in college basketball and basketball in general is a skill that a team has to have to want to win a championship. It's very rare you see a team unless they are just incredibly dominant on the interior, uh, you know, in, in, uh, like consistently beat teams uh, of a high level. They have to have shooters. You have to have guys who can confidently knock down shots. I think it's so huge, especially if you ever get behind. It's a way to get you right back in the game. Coach, what do you think about the, the which of those two lessons or, or maybe there was something else entirely that you took away from the Final Four that, that applies to IU? Yeah, I think the three-point shooting is obvious and, and- Ryan covered it really well. I'm going to take on the one with the the good role players. I I think the lesson for me from the NCAA tournament was you have to have pieces that fit. And, and, you know, it it is always better to have a Cassius Winston, to have a Hunter, to have a Culver, uh, and those guys who could lead the team. But you must surround that with pieces that work. Uh, The programs that went further than expected had good pieces. Some of that was extra shooting. Some of that was the ability to drive and make plays. Some of that might have been defensively and rebounding. Uh, those things are, are very important. And I, I think that's a depth issue as well when you got, bring guys off the bench that things don't drop off. But teams, teams and programs advanced in this uh, Final Four. You can have a collection of talent, and it can go far, and it can be a good year, uh, which the Dukes and the Kentuckys have. But the pieces must fit together regardless of whether you're young and five-star laden or you have one NBA talent and, and, and many others. And the coaches that can mesh all of those particular talents together and play uh, a team brand of basketball for whatever it is, we saw different styles succeed in the NCAA tournament. That is, is an important part of winning basketball. And then as it applies to Indiana is that it's year three and Archie of getting those pieces in so he can put them in. And if he needs to make the adjustments to his initial philosophy heading, heading into Indiana to make things work, he needs to do that. But let's get to a point here soon, Coach Miller, where you can get those pieces and put them together. Uh, you, you can't win with just one NBA type star or one player. You need to have uh, multiple guys who can play the game the way the coach wants them to play. 
Yeah, I thought along those lines, what I would add is just that the depth that Virginia had gave them the ability to play different lineups in different situations. You saw games over the course of their run in the tournament where they would play Jack Salt a lot, and they would go bigger. And then you saw game places in the in the title game when neither team was playing a true five, and they had you know they had all the the smaller guys out there where they had Braxton Key essentially playing the four, and DeAndre Hunter essentially playing the five. I just thought their personnel worked really well together because it gave them the flexibility. Uh, there were times they would play all three guards. There were times they'd only play two of them. I, I just thought that kind of depth, and not only depth, but depth that you can trust to play long minutes if the situation warrants, uh, was was really important. Uh, and, and I think those are the kinds of you know coaching things that, that you look for on the depth that you build, the adjustments that you make. And, and the other thing was really the resiliency of so many of these teams that got down in different situations that didn't panic and found ways to win games. You know, again, people can talk about referees, all the, all the other kind of ancillary things that ended up getting brought up with some of these games, but these teams all, you know, kind of stared down difficult situations. Virginia seemed to do it game after game after game. Um, but even the te- some of the teams they beat along the way, the other teams that were there, very few of them didn't face adversity in the tournament where it seemed like they were going to lose the game. Uh, and, and I thought that was something that, comes a bit with experience and and with the real faith in the system and uh and in one another and i think it's uh you know hopefully that's what's building uh at iu and and time will tell hopefully we'll be uh looking back on this at some point with the you know the positive of hey you could see these signs coming and uh, maybe this really was the blueprint but uh we'll figure that out in due time and coming up on the assembly call on the heels of bob knight's appearance at bart kaufman field this past weekend we dive into the topic of what it will take to bring the iu family back together again and whether or not it really matters if that happens at all. Stick with us. And welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Andy Bottoms, filling in for Jared Morris, here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and Ryan Phillips. And and guys, on this uh, this segment, we wanted to touch on you know, some of the big news. While there wasn't a lot of uh, news about the current team that, that came out since we uh, last got together, there was some pretty big news on the campus, and that was that uh, the coach Bob Knight attended a baseball game last weekend that certainly got a lot of attention on social media and uh, just about every place else you can think of. And so I just wanted to, to talk about that first and then wanted to get into some of the comments from uh, that Greg Graham made on podcast on the brink this week. But first, um, Coach, I'll throw it to you. I don't know if you were actually at that baseball game or not that he was there. Uh, I know you attend a number of them frequently, as you mentioned before. But uh, w- what kind of significance does that have for you, uh, him coming back and showing up at uh, Bart Coffin Field last weekend? Yeah, I, I was I was there the Friday night. I was not there Saturday, but I know a lot of people who who were there, and it was it was an incredible moment for the Indiana fan base just to see him at an Indiana athletic event and in the public's eye, to, so that everyone could see him. And um, you know, a, a lot of conversations about how he looked and how he interacted, and and I heard that he had. Um, uh, he had the press box captive a few times during the game with stories of, uh, of, you know, his coaching, um, baseball and, and playing uh, fast pitch softball and, and things like that. So, um, I, I think it was a great, uh, step in the right direction. Uh, the fan base has been 
fractured, to say the least, since his departure. And, and maybe this is a step for those who ha- have signed off or, or were waiting for a step back uh, to, to maybe come back on their own a little bit and, and embrace the Indiana University athletic program and, and the university itself. And maybe it was a sign for Coach, too, that, that as you know, he's getting a little bit older and, and, and obviously his, his health is, is somewhat um, in decline is, is what the word is, uh, that, that maybe he can make some amends, too. And so I, I, I just think it was really outstanding thing for, for Coach to come to the game and for uh, the athletic department to, to make sure that his visit was um, one that he could enjoy. And, and I think that's something just to show all of the fans at Indiana that, that we are uh, a, a family of some sort that, are, that roots for Indiana, and, and let's try to, to get back to some sort of uh, togetherness as soon as possible. Ryan, what was your reaction to seeing that news when it started to circulate that he was back on campus? Uh, I've, I was surprised. Certainly. Uh, I think everyone was that, that knows anything about Bob Knight and his feelings towards Indiana. I had some friends in the media who have known Knight and have had long conversations with him about it, reach out to me and just be like, never thought I'd see the day ever. And uh, it makes sense that they wouldn't because he's made, I mean, he's made the same public comments that he has in private. He just doesn't want to forgive and doesn't want anything to do with Indiana. And he has shown in the past that he would rather be on Purdue's campus than Indiana's. And um, so I, but I will say as somebody who just kind of was like, eh, I'm done with Bob Knight. I don't really care if he's ever back at Indiana. I re-, you know, after some of the comments he made and some of the, you know, those things and then missing the, the, the honoring of the 76 team when everybody just, apparently those guys all reached out and begged him to come and he didn't. And um you know, I was kind of done and I was just throwing in the towel. But again, seeing him on campus, I just felt like, man, can we please do this? You know, he's, he's an old man. I want to see this happen before he dies. I'm not saying we got to name the court after him. That, na- that court's named after Branch McCracken. I don't think, think they need to put up a stadium to him. He's a guy who abused a player, that we, multiple players, and we know about it. But still, I think it would go a long way to healing some, some wounds uh, that, that exist within this fan base if he was just to give his blessing to Indiana again. And and however ridiculous it is that we're talking about a guy who hasn't been on campus for like 19 years, giving his blessing to Indiana, it's still something that is important to a lot of people at Indiana. I, I don't sit there and say, well, if this doesn't happen, it's the worst thing ever, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't feel that way, but I, I, I feel like it, to some degree, there's a lot of people who would be put at peace in the Indiana, you know, in the Hoosier family, uh, if that happened, if there was just, he doesn't have to go to a basketball game. He doesn't have to get honored, but if he were just to say some positive things about Indiana for once, uh, maybe come on campus and do a tour of the new facilities or something like that away from crowds or whatever, just, you know, maybe, and maybe do an interview. Um, that, that would really, I think, help heal a lot of the, the divides that have been within this fan base for 20 years now uh, and, and haven't stopped. And, and I know you, I, I don't know about you guys, but I saw them when I was on campus um, during Mike Davis's tenure. Mike Davis was treated like garbage by a significant se- section of the fan base uh, to the point of like personal threats, nothing about coaching, but about personal stuff and, and threats and all that because he wasn't Bob Knight. And I'm sure every coach since has had to deal with that to some degree. And uh, there are people on campus who had, you know, it were 
you know, distantly related to, to whatever happened with Bob Knight. They've had to answer questions about it for 20 years and all of that stuff. And I just think it's time to put this to bed and it would be great if he could come back. You know, I know it was great to, that he showed up in a baseball game, but I think it's time to maybe heal that wound. And he's the only guy who can do it. I mean, Indiana has tried for years and I think that, you know, it's time for him to, to come halfway as well. Well, and I think I view it similar to what coach thought is that it seems like a reasonable first step toward something like what you're describing. I think the question now becomes that you've, you know, you just wait to see what happens. It's no different than we get on some of the post game shows and talk about, well, this guy shot really well tonight, but it only means something if he goes out and does it again, you know, in a few of the next next games. And so I think now you just turn your attention to what are some of the next steps and, and what happens? Are there, uh, you know, as he show up at another, even if it's another baseball game or something, is it become it more of a pattern of, um, you know, being around as opposed to, you know, willful, um, you know, disregard for, for what's going on. So I think it's a good first step, what it means. Uh, I, I think time will tell, but, uh, coach, you said you had something else you want to jump in with here. Yeah. The, the, the talk on, on campus, the, the last few times I was there since the, um, coach Knight's visit, was that maybe that's a signal to some of the really diehards that have hold out, especially some of the former players. It was mentioned, you know, Kent Benson has been estranged from the Indiana program, Indiana athletics, other than when his daughter played, um, that there are some former players, and that's going to lead into our next topic too, that, that have really been um, a, not against Indiana, but just kind of really touchy about the situation, uh, that are really pro-night people, that maybe this is a sign that, hey, it's time to put that, that to rest. Uh, a little bit. I know there are fans and, and some of the anti Archie stuff is because I think fans thought that a way to bring coach Knight back would be to bring an Indiana guy back to lead the program. And, and there's so much desire to have in the fan base to have coach Knight back, uh, that it, it led to, it, it's led to some anti, you know, coach Crean, anti coach Miller, uh, anti Fred glass, all of this stuff, because how strong people felt about coach Knight that, that again, Multiple trips would be great, but at least this one maybe is, is Coach Knight and, and, and Bob Hamill who helped uh, organize some of the trips uh, that he's taken around Indiana lately. And, and there's been some talk that he's been on campus before, just not publicly at public events. Uh, that, that maybe, again, um, you know, this is, uh, this is headed in the right direction. And, and as we talk about Greg Graham's comments and that, it, it's, I think it's really important to to get to that place finally after all of these years. Yes. I wanted to hit on those uh, Greg Graham comments. So he was on podcast on the brink with Jared and Alex this week. And uh, it was a really good interview. Would, would definitely recommend if people listen to it, got into his playing career, what he's doing now uh, and some of his thoughts on the program. And one of the things that came up that uh, we got a question from, from Mark about was, you know, Graham made some comments that basically said he had no relationship with the current regime uh, they hadn't really reached out to to him, and I think even went so far as to say that he had tried to reach out. Um, but but it certainly had said, you know, they know where to find me. Nobody's reached out. Essentially, those were um, those were some of the comments, and I think those are interesting comments when you contrast them a little bit with some of the more recent players um, that have been there. Certainly, Oladipo and Zeller uh, donated the money for the the locker room and players lounge. Uh, I'm, I'm getting caught up on uh, some of the Hoosier Hysterics podcast where they've been interviewing a number of, uh, of former players now that the season's over. And so, you know, listen to one with Jordan Holes and talked about he, you know, has talked to Archie, really likes him, you know, come in when he's 
uh, back in Bloomington in the off season and things like that. So it's a weird. You got Thomas, Thomas Bryant, OG, like all those guys are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. And I don't know whether that it seems too simplistic to draw the line at that's a, you know, night player versus non night player uh, type of thing, but it was an interesting contrast that, and, and so, you know, the question kind of comes up with that is, is, as Mark posed it, is how important do you think it is to IU success and fan support to build and maintain relationships with players from the night era? So, uh, Ryan, I'll kick that to you first. It's a kind of a loaded question, I realize, but, uh, you know, just in the yeah. grand scheme of things, how important do you really feel like that is from, you know, whether it, even if it isn't night to what we talked about before, you know, the players that had him as a bridge to him, where do you, where do you put place importance on that as it, as it pertains to IU moving forward? I think I think knowing your history as a program is incredibly important because it's one of the most powerful things that Indiana has. I mean, there hasn't been the recent success to build on, and and you've got NBA guys like a Victor Oladipo and you know some of these other guys who uh, have gone on to have success in the NBA. Uh, you know, Eric Gordon is another one. Um, Thomas Bryant this year had a great year and looks like he's going to be a really good player in the NBA. So you've got those guys, and having those guys around the program is is important. Um, so I definitely think that they're doing the right thing by keeping the recent past involved. That said, I think that you need to bring in the guys who have won, won championships, competed for championships, been All-Americans, won you know, uh, Big Ten championships and those. And a lot of those happened during the Bob Knight era. And I think it would be great if Archie, um, I, I, you know, look, a, a college coach has a lot of things to worry about. So I'm not sure Archie's going to be the one reaching out personally to bridge that gap because he probably just doesn't have time to do that, to find the phone numbers for these guys and reach out to all of them individually. But to get those guys back on campus, get them coming to games, like, hey, just come come sit behind the bench for a game. You know, we want, we want you to come. Come talk to the players. That kind of stuff is incredibly important, I think, when you're a program like Indiana. I think a place like North Carolina, a place like Kansas, a place like, you know, these historical programs need to have that kind of connection to their past because the past is the thing that, other than the facilities and liking the coaches, the tradition in the past is what's going to draw kids to Indiana. Uh, It's not going to be Little Five. I know Little Five is great, but you can party big time on any campus um, that has a big basketball program. Uh, I think that it's important to connect with that past and and really make it an an integral part of, of what Indiana builds going forward, that they know the past and that they're connected to it and that they understand where they fit in that past when they're coming in as a player and how important it is. And uh, I, I do think it's very important. I think it's, I think it's overrated at times. You know, it's like we have to get every player back on campus. No, but you need to connect with some of those guys, some of those key guys. And I'd love to see Greg Graham uh, as one of those guys. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's a, it's a two way street sometimes too. Um, when you have a, a, a lot of players to reach out to um, there, there might be one or two that, that, sometimes get caught up. I, I would say that I would be more concerned if it was a pattern of, of not reaching out to the past. Um, and I think that, you know, is, is not the case here, uh, with, with Greg Graham. Um, and it's something too, as, as, as Ryan said, we, as coaches at every level, you know, you got to reach out to your fans and to your parents and to all of the people. It's part of your business. You got to shake hands. You got to rub elbows. You got to do some of the alumni events. 
it's not the priority as a basketball coach. <laughs> Developing your players, recruiting, watching film, that's what you love to do, and you do the others because you have to. It does not excuse missing a Greg Graham, though. If, if, if Greg Graham is a part, he is a part of, our, uh, of Indiana's history, then he needs to be contacted, and someone in the athletic department or on the coaching staff, director of basketball operations, those things does need to, to, to reach out. But I, I think if the pattern was not talking to any of the former players, that would be much worse than, than uh, a couple players saying that they, they haven't been, been reached. But I think it's, I think it's important. I, I just think it's unique at, at Indiana as well. There's a good question if we get to it later on about IU and UCLA. Uh, someone asked about why they aren't uh, as successful as the past. It's hard to follow legends. Uh, it is very, very hard. Very few programs are successful following legendary coaches. And, and we're, we're just at the back end, hopefully, of dealing with that. And, um, but, but reaching out to players is, is important. I'd like to see Archie reach out to Greg, but uh, I think that'll happen in due time. And by the way, this whole reaching out to players and dealing with you know, fan events and alumni and all of that stuff, that's why you see certain coaches leave college basketball for the pros. It's coaches you identify with college basketball. Look at Brad Stevens. Look at you know, Billy Donovan. Guys like that. Uh, Rick Pitino left for a while when he was in the middle of his high success at Kentucky. He left. And the reason they leave is because it's a, it's a 24-7, 365 job. You do not get an offseason in college basketball. You don't get one in college football either because you're constantly recruiting, then you're constantly doing events, then you're constantly traveling around, all that stuff. And it wears on guys. And you've got to find your breaks when you can. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that that's part of the reason that these jobs are rough on guys and they age them really fast. Well, I think you also have a situation with IU where just kind of a lack of continuity. This is not meant to, you know, kind of get back into the whole, like bring in an IU guy type type scenario. But I think when you look at, you know, if you look around the big 10, you had a pretty smooth transition from, you know, Judd Heathcote to Tom Izzo. He's been there forever, you know, Katie to painter at Purdue some of those kinds of scenarios where I used had some really distinct personalities and approaches since night was here. And there's not really a, a clear thing that ties all of that together other than the program itself. And when some of the success hasn't been there during those years, sometimes the program itself, as much as we all want to think that it is may not be enough for, you know, for some guys. So I think he's done a, a reasonably good job. I think you, Certainly, as coach said, I think it, this seems to be the exception more so than the rule in terms of uh, in terms of Greg Graham and, and and those kinds of things. I think you've seen people from other, uh, even you know, outside of the Crean era, you know, talk about having had interaction with Archie and doing some of those kinds of things. But it is a difficult part of the job, and I think one that you're never going to please everybody with, and and all of those kinds of things. But I would, you know, ultimately echo what you guys said. I, I think it is important to understand that history and have guys that can convey convey that particularly now because it's been such a long time since the program had any kind of sustained success that it's a lot harder to it, it's harder to find guys in the recent past who have been able to truly sustain that and really talk about it and so i think that if nothing else is why some of the night guys become more important because a lot of those guys you know save the last you know handful of years of his tenure were there during times where there was consistent sustained success expectations all of those kinds of things and i think to be able to bring that time and those expectations to light for these guys becomes important 
Um, and and unfortunately, honestly, that history can be something you can weaponize in recruiting. I mean, you can legitimately weaponize the history of Indiana and, and, you know, some guys you can take the angle. We want you to be the one that brings us back to there, you know, to that point with some guys and be like, look at all the guys here who did it before you, all that stuff that can be used and, and, and can be a huge tool and, and, and they have to be able to do it. And Ryan, it's for the right players too. You want to recruit the next Greg Graham. What he said on that podcast is what Indiana basketball needs is players who want to come and invest in themselves and invest in the program and take coaching and become a player who hits 26 out of 28 free throws, is all Big Ten defensively and wins and gets to the Final Four. And so, the, you know, that's, that, that's weaponizing right there. Hey, look, this is what has happened at Indiana before. You can come here with the same type of effort and attitude uh, and, uh, and ability and make that uh, a career like that. I, I agree 100%. All right, coming up in our third segment, we'll answer your questions, which include one about how well Indians returning players can help offset the losses of Romeo and Juwan with improved three-point shooting, and another about scholarship balance. That's next on the Assembly Call. Stick with us. the assembly call i'm andy bottoms filling in for jared morris here with coach brian tonsoni and ryan phillips remember you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter we send out a weekly iu news roundup even during the offseason and after every game we send out a detailed post-game analysis just text iu to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com that's iu to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com time now for our mailbag all questions were submitted via our private iu basketball discussion community at assemblycall.com slash community and the first one comes from Tom. Uh, he says, assuming Hunter's, assuming Jerome Hunter's availability, he, Green, and Durham might be expected to be volume three-point shooters next year with Fennessey as the point guard taking somewhat fewer. Speculate on the likelihood of this group adequately spreading the floor and allowing the offense to significantly increase its effectiveness despite the loss of two gifted offensive players in this year's team. Coach, I'll throw this one to you first. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your reaction to Tom's question here about uh, about how the three-point shooting might uh, might shake out next year i think it's actually going to be better um joel one of our our chat mob has some interesting stats when he pulled out um the two gifted offensive players shot about 28 percent from three and took a lot of the threes so if if you break down i thought l got better Devonte shooting the last five or six games was incredible helped space the floor I think Finnessy shot the ball better and then really struggled after his injury. So I look for him to increase his shooting. So even without getting another shooter, those three are probably going to take uh, a lot of the threes. And then you add Hunter, uh, who yet we haven't seen how consistent he can hit the three in games, but it's been uh, said that he can shoot. And you bring in... Um, He's a heck of a shooter. He so there you go. Um, so I, I think I think the percentage will be better. Uh, simply because it wasn't a strength of our of the two best players. Uh, it's not that their fault for taking the shots, but they didn't hit them uh, at a clip that that you need to hit consistently, as we just saw in the NCAA tournament. So it'll, I think it'll be better. Ryan, what about you? 
Yeah, I think it's going to get better, and, and I think that, you know, Finnessy will be better as well. And once he gets on a more consistent footing, we saw him knock down some big shots. He seems to have ice water in his veins when it comes to those shots, uh, whether driving or shooting from the perimeter. He really came up clutch a lot this year. Uh, but I do think they need to add shooters. I, I think Lester Quinones is coming in on a visit. He is one of the best shooters in this class. He's a beautiful uh, ability to put the ball in the basket from deep, and that is needed. And, and and I think that you can never have enough shooters. But you saw late in the season when they finally started shooting the ball well, the offense ran so much better. I mean, it just changed everything. And, and in that losing streak, they were not shooting well. And it was just like trying to push a rock up the hill. You know, it was just a, a, an enormous boulder. And And then when they... Uh, late in the season when they started winning games, it was like it was rolling downhill. They were figuring things out, and, and it wasn't perfect, but it helped, and it changes things. And it really does change the way you spread the floor. It changes the way you can attack, and it changes it opens things up for everybody else. And so I, I would say, yeah, those three guys, the Hunter, Green, and Durham, and, and well, and throw Fantasy in there too, four guys. Uh, I think those four guys can be adequate three-point shooters, but you still got to add more because you need to have guys coming off the bench who could knock down shots. I mean, you just do. Everybody needs to be able to shoot to, to some degree, and um, especially in your backcourt. So, uh, yes, I think that those guys will be better, but I think that Indiana still needs to add more. I would actually even point more toward the, the front court as well. I think those guys help spread it on the perimeter, but you're going to have Deron Davis playing uh, what you hope to be significant minutes based on his health. You'll have Trace Jackson Davis who can step out a little bit, but that's not really a strength of his game. And uh, as you know, we've talked about Ray Thompson. Can he really do that as well? I think when you, even when you think back to other really strong IU teams, you think back to the, you know, the team when Bielfeld was on, like he was such a huge factor because he gave you the size inside, but he could really step out and make shots. Yeah. Brian on that team could, you know, step out and make, uh, you know, make threes occasionally keep people honest so i think that's the other part for me that i think from a guard for sure just having multifaceted yeah. players yeah, i mean the, the final four was just the perfect example of that i mean the way that you know virginia was able to play and really spread people out texas tech was the same way they had a lot of guys on the floor that could really shoot so um auburn definitely uh, so even though playing at a different pace just so i think that'll really be the key to unlock things can they get can they either get to a point where they're comfortable playing, you know, one bigger guy and, and and four guys around him that can shoot. Can one of the big guys be able to step out and consistently make some shots? How does that all? I think that really could unlock the offense potentially as we uh, as we look at that. Next question comes from Scott. Uh, I actually, who said, I actually kind of like the minor exodus of a few players this offseason, so long as the incoming mixture of players levels out the classes across the board. Uh, so I won't get into the uh, the complete detail of this, but but essentially. You know, right now, and and particularly this last season, although a couple of the freshmen have left, there were, you know, IU's class was really, really heavy in the freshman class to a certain extent in the sophomore class. And and some of bringing Fitzner in, quite honestly, was an attempt to rebalance some of these classes where you don't want to have to be filling, you know, five scholarships in any given year. And so I think Scott's point here is dependent upon who you bring in and where they fit in these classes, whether that's transfers, grad transfers. Uh, freshman, whatever the case may be, it does give some opportunity to balance that out a little bit. Um, and so he he kind of threw out some things, but you know talked about having some redshirt players uh, potentially that would uh, it would have more experience, uh, availability for grad transfers, things like that. Um, w- without getting into exactly everything that Scott laid out here, you know, Coach, what are your thoughts about 
you know, are there potentially some positives to, you know, a couple of these guys leaving and giving an opportunity to, to rebalance the classes a little bit? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the players that left, we wish them well. They're, they're good guys. They just weren't the right fit at, the, at this moment here at Indiana, and, and we wish them well. But I think it opens up things strategically, and I do think balancing the, the class sizes is always important. Uh, I don't know how important, though, because uh, with, with kids leaving early and, and, uh, and even in, all, in a lot of programs, uh, transfers, it's, the classes seem to balance themselves out over time. Uh, but you, you never want to go through and have six or seven in one class and graduate, and then that's a total rebuild uh, the next year. So I, I think balancing is, 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 is the ultimate goal. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Archie holds one scholarship for that if he doesn't find a grad transfer to come in for a year, uh, just for those reasons. Well, there are three three scholarships open right now. Is that yeah. still the number? Okay. Yeah. So three scholarships open. You had two transfers. Uh, yeah, I I agree that you want to have balance. That's you know sometimes it's not nece- it's not necessarily doable, but I think that in this case they're gonna have two seniors next year. Right now, as it stands, two seniors, uh, two juniors with a, a potential of a transfer in Joey Bronk uh, to be a junior. There's a potential of a grad transfer, so that would make three seniors. Then you've got uh, Finnessy, Demisey, Race Thompson, all sophomores, and then the freshman coming in, which is, uh, well, Jerome Hunter will have redshirted, but then you've got Trace Jackson Davis uh, and Armand Franklin. So that's three all the way down if you include a grad transfer and Joey Bronk. Um, that's a pretty that's balanced. Every year has three. You could add another uh, freshman incoming this year, and given you know a tr- normal attrition, four in a freshman class is, is pretty standard and pretty normal. Um, so I, I actually kind of like the way the roster is balanced right now, assuming they can get a grad transfer who can shoot, assuming they can get another big guy if it's Joey Brunk, great, um, and, and if they can get another freshman to, to latch on. I think that would be a great roster situation if that could happen. Yeah, I, I do think you know, you hate to put too much into this because you don't know who's going to actually stay around for how long and, and right. things can change quickly. And then you think you have it balanced and then somebody decides to transfer or leaves for the NBA or who knows, who knows whatever else the case may be. And all of a sudden all your work to, you know, line things up pretty perfectly was doesn't, doesn't actually pan out like you thought that it would. But I do think there's some opportunities to, uh, to do that. I think the Brunk transfer, as we talked about last week, has gotten more interesting uh, based on the departures of, of Clifton Moore and Jake Forrester. And the fact that you'd have him for two years in the same way that they were able to to bring in Nick Zeisloft uh, a couple years ago, so um, it'd be good to bring him back in for two more years now if we could uh, find a way to swing that. But um, so I, I think it's an interesting concept, and and remains to be seen a little bit of how that all shakes out. But I think either way, it, it feels like already in these first couple of years, some work's been done to get to get that to a point where it's not nearly as as weighted toward certain classes as, as it was to others. So be interesting to see as that plays out, how, how it goes. But I do, I do think it gives some flexibility there. And like coach said, I think there's the possibility, you know, Archie's talked before about maybe not trying to use up every single scholarship. Um, I think he needed to do that at the beginning and really wanted to get an infusion of, of quote unquote, his guys. Um, and it made, it made complete sense too. To yep. Do. So uh, we'll see, but uh all right, so with that, we'll uh, we've got about a minute and a half left. So uh, JD submitted this question. This might be like a Ryan alias. It just said Ryan UCLA search go. 
Uh, yeah, complete dumpster fire. Uh, the fact that they got suckered in by John Calipari and his agent is hilarious. John Calipari was never leaving Kentucky, guys. He was not going to L.A. All these people from UCLA saying, oh, he wanted a lifestyle. No, he's a god there. He'll do whatever he wants. Uh, he suckered them in, and they, they wasted their time focusing on that. They didn't spend their time on Chris Beard, which is who they should have gone after from the beginning. I said months ago, I said when they fired Alford, I said Chris Beard. Go get Chris Beard. Months before he took a team to the finals. And they never even got in on him. Then they go after Jamie Dixon. And they say, he's the guy. He's the guy we want. We're all in on Jamie Dixon. And then they refuse to pay his $8 million buyout. If he's the guy you want, you pay whatever it takes to get him. They refuse to pay his $8 million buyout. Jamie Dixon's going to be at TCU next year. Then they go after Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes, who is not a great coach. He had a great year. But he's you know doesn't have a, an insane track record of success. All right, you got 20 seconds to get through the rest of this he, list here, buddy. They offer him $5 million a year, and he says no. And he goes back to Tennessee. Clearly, he saw what a dumpster fire this UCLA thing was. Um, and then they end up with Mick Cronin, who is a perfectly solid coach. But if you had told UCLA fans at the beginning you're ending up with Cincinnati's coach, who's only made it past the first round of the NCAA tournament a handful of times, how do you feel about that? They would have been so mad. So good uh, luck right. to Cronin out of UCLA. All right, well, that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment. But three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment. But three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense.